Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Moscow is hit with another drone attack, while Ukraine is pummeled with an onslaught from Russia. If you've got eight drone strikes in downtown Moscow, that doesn't necessarily uh, pretend that things are going as planned. House Committee Chairman James Comer is threatening contempt of Congress charges against FBI Director Chris Ray. I think it probably gets worse. I, I think these scandals are starting to sort of knit together. Lululemon fires workers who called police on shoplifters. For pursuing shoplifters, but not a zero tolerance policy for shoplifting. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Wednesday, May 31st. I'm Mike Scott. On Tuesday, Russia was smacked with another drone attack, this one hitting a residential area. The strike is considered to be the first major drone attack on a residential area of Moscow. Russian President Vladimir Putin has responded to the attacks, accusing Ukraine of trying to scare Russia. The defense ministry said at least eight drones did cause minor damage, but Kyiv is denying responsibility. Reporter Tom Sophie Burridge explains that the drone attack on Moscow comes as Russia bombarded the Ukrainian capital of Kyiv with their own drones. This morning, the Russian capital under attack from a swarm of lethal drones. Explosions just three miles from President Putin's country residence in videos circulating online. Here, one of those explosive drones clearly visible. Russian officials saying most were shot down, but buildings damaged, two people lightly injured. A Ukrainian official suggesting it's now not just Ukraine that can get attacked by drones. And overnight, the Ukrainian capital was hit by explosive Russian drones for the third night running. One person killed when this apartment was hit. We can hear intense artillery fire not far from here. And these guys are waiting for the command to move. Burridge explains that Ukrainian forces are gearing up for a major counteroffensive. Our team meeting this Ukrainian tank platoon readying for a major offensive. Most of the tanks in the Ukrainian military are made up of these T-72 Soviet-era models. The Ukrainians now have an unknown number of British-made and German-made advanced tanks, but those tanks are being hidden from view. Ukrainian preparations for that counteroffensive now in full swing. Guys, Putin's spokesman reacting to that Ukrainian drone attack on Moscow, saying Ukraine was retaliating after Russia destroyed a key Ukrainian command center over the weekend. All eyes now on how the Kremlin will respond. Speaking on Russian TV, Mr. Putin said the attack had been a response to what he described as a Russian attack on Ukraine's military intelligence headquarters in recent days. Retired Lieutenant General Richard Newton says that the attacks, he believes, 
show the war effort is getting ramped up. Let's put this in a little bit of perspective, though. Uh, you know, a week or so ago, we're talking about uh, the ground operations in uh, the eastern part of Russia, of Ukraine and Donbass and, and in Bakhmut. And those operations tempo of the ground operations since uh, really kind of slowed down. And so you're seeing, as you said, ratcheted up uh, certainly uh, attacks from the air. Uh, as Evan reported, a uh, significant attack yesterday. But let's go back to this weekend. There was the largest Iranian-supplied uh, drones, which is a Shahad. They were 59 of those launched against Ukraine in Kiev from Russia on Saturday. Then you had 11 ballistic missiles and cruise missiles on Sunday. And then you had, uh, again, more unrelenting attacks from from Russia against Ukrainian air bases. And then, as, as Evan reported, 20 more Iranian-supplied uh, Shahid drones as well. And then you've got, on on uh, just a, several hours or so ago, you had reportedly uh, eight cruise missiles, or eight drones, rather, going against Moscow in, in residential areas. And so it, it is. It, we're ratcheted, it's being ratcheted up. Uh, likely, as we uh, anticipate that spring offensive that Evan mentioned uh, in the coming weeks. And so this is what's playing out. And uh, I think we're just going to see more of this. However, Newton says that the White House and its NATO allies are concerned that these drone strikes may portend that the war may expand outside of Ukraine's borders. Yeah, there's a potential for that. And that's exactly what uh, President Biden and his administration team and, frankly, the NATO allies do not want to happen. They want to keep this contained uh, inside of Ukraine and uh, compel uh, Ukraine with uh, up to $37 billion worth of goods and services that we're providing them for military capabilities that uh, so that they can conduct this counteroffensive and then really dislodge Russia from their their country. Uh, what we don't want to see, uh, and certainly the administration is, is very concerned about this, is going outside of Ukrainian borders. That was not going to help anybody. In fact, I'm sure right now there's there's conversations going on between Washington, D.C., and Kiev, and certainly in the uh, NATO capitals to, uh, to underscore that uh, level of support, certainly for President Zelensky in Ukraine, but to, again, put a lid on this that it doesn't uh, go outside the borders of Ukraine. Newton also weighed in on what he believes the Ukrainian counteroffensive may entail. As the spring offensive unfolds, I think you're going to see more sabotage-like level attacks, uh, potentially inside Russia. Uh, this, by the way, this works well against uh, Putin because you know he seems to try to communicate to the Russian people that he's got everything under control and everything's going to plan. But if you've got eight drone strikes in downtown Moscow, that doesn't necessarily uh, pretend that things are going as planned. And so, of course, the Ukrainian side would be pleased. We've not been able to attribute who actually uh, launched these cruise missiles, uh, or I'm sorry, these drones uh, against Moscow. Uh, It could be that uh, they may or may not even be under any type of uh, command and control of of President Zelensky and his armed forces. In fact, I suspect maybe not. But nonetheless, that's the challenge that Zelensky has, as well as uh, you know, the United States and NATO allies, when we're focusing on this spring offensive, that, uh, again, things could get a little bit out of hand. And that's a, that's a concern we need to pay very close attention to. The retired lieutenant general also believes that Vladimir Putin's threats against Senator Lindsey Graham are just more saber rattling from the embattled 
Russian president. Well, it's another card out of Putin's playbook uh, to just demonstrate to, you know, not only, uh, you know, his citizens, but to the rest of the world that uh, he's really uh, ratcheting up the, the rhetoric here. Senator Graham visited Kiev on uh, uh, on Friday and he made a, a number of statements. There's a full video of, of his remarks. What has happened almost in, in an information war format that uh, Russia has put a couple lines of his uh, remarks together as if, you know, he was celebrating the fact that Russians were, were dead on the battlefield and so forth. That's nowhere true at all. Uh, Senator Graham came back and said, uh, "Okay, uh, I'll go ahead and have my day in court in an international criminal court in The Hague. If you uh, essentially Putin also have your day in court in terms of all the war crimes that you've been uh, committing, you know, over the last 15 months or so. So there's just going back and forth. But it is interesting. Again, there's nothing surprises me that comes out of Putin or comes out of Russia in, in this case. Russia's foreign ministry team said Western support for Kyiv was pushing the Ukrainian leadership towards ever more reckless criminal deeds, including what they called acts of terror. But the U.S. State Department repeated Washington's position that it does not support the attacks inside of Russia, adding it was still gathering information on the drone strikes. The stakes remain high for both President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy after striking a budget deal to avert a default. Daybreak Insider's White House correspondent Greg Clugston has the very latest on the debt ceiling debate. They may have reached a bipartisan agreement, but hard work remains for both the president and House Speaker. They each have to persuade lawmakers and their parties to vote for it in both the House and the Senate. I strongly urge both both chambers to pass that agreement. Some lawmakers on the far right and far left don't like the compromise and won't support it, so the deal will require votes from Democrats and Republicans for approval. Greg Clugston, The White House. Christopher Wray may be the first FBI director to be held in contempt of Congress. Ray is scheduled for a phone call Wednesday with House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer discussing an informant file that allegedly accuses President Biden of being part of a $5 million bribery scheme while vice president. That file was the same one that Comer and his committee subpoenaed from Ray nearly a month ago, and yesterday was the deadline for the FBI to turn it over. Today is the deadline for the FBI Director Christopher Wray to turn over that document that Republicans say links President Biden to a $5 million bribery scheme with a foreign national. In a letter Wednesday, Comer writes, quote, Your response to the subpoena is due May 30th. If the form is not produced by that date, the committee will initiate contempt of Congress proceedings. Ray and Comer set to speak by phone tomorrow, but the chairman says that their meeting will not impact today's deadline. In their own statement last week, the FBI defended withholding the document, saying, quote, releasing confidential source information could potentially jeopardize investigations and put lives at risk. Speaker Kevin McCarthy states that should Ray fail to cooperate, the House will hold him accountable. Today is the deadline. He can send us that document. We have the right to look at that. Republicans and Democrats alike in that committee. And if he does not follow through with the law, we will move contempt charges against Christopher Ray and the FBI. Citing concerns about informant confidentiality, 
the FBI has thus far refused to provide the file. According to the whistleblower, during and after his vice presidency, Biden used his son Hunter to broker deals from China, Mexico, Kazakhstan, Russia, and Ukraine, according to files from Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop, photographs, and witness recollections. Andy McCarthy is a former assistant U.S. attorney in Manhattan and a contributing editor at National Review. And he joins the Salem Radio Network to discuss the scandals surrounding the FBI. I think uh, it probably gets worse from even the startling numbers that you're talking about, because I, I think these scandals are starting to sort of knit together. So what it looks like from what the FISA judge's order uh, indicates is that a lot of these illegal searches where they where they actually access some of the information that they've hoarded, which that's part of the problem. I'll get, I'll get to that in a second. But subject matter wise, it looks like they stepped up um, on the Capitol riot in particular. A lot of these searches are related to that. And as I noted last week, we have reason now to think that with pressure from the Democrats, the FBI has basically been cooking its books to make it look like there's more domestic terrorism driven by white supremacists in the United States than there actually is. The longtime federal prosecutor believes that Democrats are pressuring the FBI to push a leftist narrative. The Democrats have been pushing the Bureau uh, to increase those cases uh, and to basically account for them, which is supposed to hook up with the Democrats' messaging that the biggest uh, threat facing the country is white supremacist domestic terrorism, which is their code for Trump supporters. Um, and it looks to me like this um, this FISA abuse plays right into that, as as you would figure. If the you know if the bureau is changing the way that it accounts for domestic terrorism cases, you you're not surprised to find that when they're unlawfully accessing. FISA information, it's based on searches that are connected to the Capitol riot. The former assistant U.S. attorney feels that part of the problem with the FBI is that they have become an intelligence agency instead of a policing agency. I think it should be, I think their national security foreign counterintelligence mission should be taken away and reassigned to a an intelligence entity like the Brits have an MI5 that doesn't have police power. And the Bureau, I think the Bureau's ethos changed after 9-11 and it became more of an intelligence agency than a police agency. And while intelligence is obviously very important to protecting the country, it's a very different skill set from policing. And it does not prioritize civil rights and following the law. McCarthy explains how, unfortunately, the FBI isn't new to scandal. The bureaus have got a very checkered history. I mean, basically, they sent a letter to Martin Luther King uh, in a very covert way, which suggested that he commit suicide on the pain of, like, exposing uh, supposed misconduct on his part. So 
you know, I, I don't want to stand here and say that th this is so unprecedented that we've never had dark uh, chapters in the Bureau's history. Bureau's done a lot of good. It's it's done a lot of not good. Um, but I do think, Kevin, that we have uh, in the last 10 years, we have a real spate of the Bureau allowing itself to be leveraged in the service of Democratic Party politics. One of the biggest problems McCarthy has is that, in his opinion, the FBI has so damaged their own reputation that no one will believe them if they do try to deal with the corruption in their ranks. So I, I, I think the unfortunate thing with this, Kevin, is what we're talking about now in connection with the surveillance is a real problem and it would be a problem even if we were talking about good faith people who we who we trusted to be scrupulous. Oh, and that is the the technological capability of the government to suck up all this information has surpassed its ability to develop algorithms that sift it so they're only allowed to look at what they're allowed to look at. And that would be a hard technological problem, even if we were dealing with people that we could have complete faith in. But unfortunately, we, the Bureau doesn't inspire that kind of faith anymore, so it's hard to imagine that they're going to be the ones that, that fix this. Currently, Hunter Biden is under criminal investigation by Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss for tax fraud, money laundering, illegal foreign lobbying, and lying about his drug use on a gun purchase form. As the Supreme Court decides the fate of affirmative action, a new poll suggests what many in the U.S. think. We get more on this story from our Daybreak Insider, Donna Warder. 63% of adults surveyed in May by the Associated Press and the Nork Center for Public Affairs Research say that the Supreme Court should not block colleges from considering race or ethnicity in their admission systems, but that factors such as grades and standardized tests should be more important, and there was little divide among political or racial lines. The poll reflects general support for affirmative action, even as the Supreme Court is about to rule on lawsuits challenging admission systems at Harvard and the University of North Carolina. Donna Porter, Washington. Two women in Georgia are accusing Lululemon, a clothing retailer, of firing them from their jobs because they called police on shoplifters. All right, you definitely need to hear this one. Two retail store employees in Georgia say they were fired because they called police during a robbery. Take a look at the video. The employees at Athletic Apparel Store, Lululemon, were shouting and chasing these masked robbers at their store while the thieves, you see right there, grabbing armfuls of merchandise. Well, after they grabbed all the loot, they escaped in a waiting car. And this came after thieves had reportedly looted multiple locations at previous times, multiple times in previous months. This was not the first time this happened. So the employees called police and reported the robbery, and that is apparently what got them fired. Lululemon cited a no-tolerance policy for chasing or physically engaging suspected robbers, saying, quote, the safety and security of our employees and guests is always Lululemon's top priority, and we have policies and protocols in place to uphold a safe environment. The shocking video shows looters running wild inside the store 
grabbing as many handfuls of clothing as possible before running off into a waiting car in the parking lot. The two women followed the robbers outside but did not try to physically stop them. Instead, they reported the robbery to the Gwinnett Police Department, who later tracked down the thieves and charged them with felony robbery charges. Retired NYPD Lieutenant Ralph Salento can't believe the women were fired for reporting a robbery. It seems that they followed policy. They didn't physically interact with them. If you watch the video, they didn't stop them from leaving the store. In other words, get in their way. That would put their safety at risk. Uh, and uh, Lululemon's statement is contradictory. They say that they care about their employees, and that's why these policies are in place. If you care so much about your employees, uh, then why not an intervention? Why not uh, instruction? Why fire them? I mean, it's sort of contradictory. And the, the statement itself about the policy, I mean, you have to see the irony in that. We have a zero-tolerance policy for pursuing shoplifters, but not a zero-tolerance policy for shoplifting. The retired police officer says that the retailer has stated previously that they don't want employees to call police. So to steal it is okay, but to report them is not okay. They have a policy against even calling the police. And in a former statement by Lululemon, they said, we don't want to be seen as the organization that calls the police. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but that's basically the sum and substance of it. I mean, it's absolutely ludicrous. It's like, it's like the beginning of the opposite sketch. You fire the employees, uh, but the employees called the police and and those perpetrators were later captured right. because of what the employees did. Salento believes the women should have their jobs restored. No, of course it doesn't make sense, and I don't really even understand the part about not calling the police. I mean, you can't get around the fact that, like I said, they didn't physically confront them. They didn't get in right. their way. All they did was shoo them out and call the police. It is absolutely, it's unconscionable that they were fired. Like, I understand rules and policies, but this is Ivy Tower syndrome uh, at its worst. Uh, somebody high up in that company needs to say, hold on a minute, let's revisit this. I realize that they breached policy, but maybe if you, if you think about it, firing them was not the right thing to do there. The women also claimed they were denied severance for the so-called rule-breaking, which delivered a major blow to the income their families rely on. New reporting shows Anheuser-Busch has lost more than $15 billion since its decision to embrace an LGBTQ agenda. Daybreak insider Bob Agnew fills us in on the ongoing financial slide of the maker of Bud Light. Investors Business Daily says the company's market value has plummeted $15.7 billion since April. The risk to doing what Bud Light did and what so many corporations have done is now becoming quite clear. Molly Hemingway, editor-in-chief of The Federalist, says it sends a message to companies who may feel bullied into supporting the LGBTQ agenda. You can do that, but you may actually destroy your company if you do it. Molly Hemingway was interviewed on the Salem Radio Network's Hugh Hewitt Show. Bob Agner reporting. Another baseball team could be on the move. The A's look like they're heading away from Oakland to Las Vegas. 
Daybreak insider Keith Peters joins us with more on the story and why the A's are leaving the city by the bay. A long-awaited proposal to finance a Major League Baseball stadium on the Las Vegas Strip is scheduled for its first public hearing at the Nevada Legislature. Lawmakers are considering whether to allow up to $380 million in incentives that include state tax credits and county bonds to build a home for the Oakland Athletics. The price tag and behind-the-scenes negotiations have sparked debate on public subsidies and equity in state economic development efforts. The stadium financing bill was introduced late Friday night after over a month of speculation as the A's move away from Oakland became increasingly imminent. Keith Peters reporting. And finally, computer gaming isn't just for teens hopped up on Mountain Dew and pizza. No, according to a new study released by the AARP, gamers who are 50-plus are on the rise. The study consisted of about 7,800 people and found that 45% of people aged 50 and over played video games at least once a month. That's up from 44% reported in the 2019 version of this survey, and more significantly, over the 38% who played when the first version of the poll was conducted in 2016. Maura White of the AARP says that those playing are a mix between new and old gamers. Actually, it's a combination of our original gamers back when they were playing Atari and Sega, like you talked about, but it's also incremental. Uh, users that have discovered gameplay by playing with their friends and family, and then those that are looking for mental stimulation, challenge, a chance to relax, to reduce stress, and to have fun and connect with others. White explains which games were found to be the most popular among the 50-plus crowd. The most popular games are the casual games, so word, trivia, puzzle games. But the 50-plus gamer is also interested in action games and role play. Um, it really covers the gamut. White also says that VR gaming is being used to not only stay in shape, but to have fun. And it's also a way to connect with the grandchildren. Those are great for doing physical exercise. Um, however, the uh, playing with the grandchildren, with the adult kids, it's become very popular and uh, very enjoyable and a great way to stay in touch. AARP study also suggests that there was also a rise in the amount of time those 50-plus spent playing games. Back in 2019, the average playtime was about eight and a half hours a week. Now, in 2023, it has grown to 12 hours a week. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at srnnews.com and townhall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott.